Thank you so much, friend. What a joy to be here. Thank you for Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. Good to see you in the house of the Lord. Why don't we give the Lord another round of applause right now? He's worthy. You may be seated. What a joy to be with you in Lake City. We are so very delighted to be here. Good to be here with our kids. Uh, Andrew and Lauren, we love them so much. And little Gracie Kate is just uh, uh, the apple of our eye. And we love her. And uh, we're glad to be here with them. I'm so happy to be here with all of you, our, our friends, those of you that we have met, uh, those of you that we have not met. It's good to see you today in the house of the Lord. And I want to tell you, your pastor and pastor's wives are uh, pastor's wife, <laughs> pastor's wives. <laughs> your pastor and pastor's wife are just tops. They, they, the, they don't get any better than the McCalls. We love them. And I know that you do as well. And we, we certainly appreciate Brother and Sister McCall. These are great, great people of the Lord. And uh, it's always uh, a privilege to be with you, my dear friend. And we love you and respect your ministry, your work of God so very highly. And thank God for what you all are accomplishing for the kingdom. And I, I do uh, w- would be remiss today if I did not... Mentioned my friend, Brother Anderson, Brother and Sister Anderson. I'm so glad to be with y'all today. I love you and appreciate you, Elder, so much. Amen. And uh, it's just good to uh, to be with all of you today. And, uh, you know, the Bible lets us know, the Bible has a, a very direct and very pointed answer for the question, what must I do to be saved? Amen. They were brought to that point in Acts chapter 2 and Peter had preached his day of Pentecost message uh, and uh, or was in the process of it uh, and the Bible says that they were pricked uh, in their hearts. Now we make a mistake sometimes uh, by thinking that Acts 2.38 is all that Peter preached uh, on the day of Pentecost but the Bible says uh, with many other words uh, he continued to exhort uh, and spoke on many different things. Uh, in fact if you look at everything the Bible says that Peter talked about uh, on the day of Pentecost it was probably a rather long message uh, instead of what some have reported uh, to be a rather short message, but the Bible does let us know that at one particular point, as Peter is preaching about the recently crucified Jesus and letting them know very pointedly that it was their fault and their responsibility and that because of them, Jesus had been crucified, the Bible says that they were pricked in their hearts. Amen. Now that word pricked there literally means to agitate violence. There was a violent reaction going on in the hearts of the people. There was something that was spiritually volatile that was taking place. Now, they didn't perpetrate any acts of violence upon the preacher like maybe some are prone to do nowadays, but they kept it inward, and they asked Peter this question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the removal of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. It's the New Testament plan of salvation 
What a privilege to know what God expects of us, amen, in order to be saved. And the Bible says, repent. And I've got good news for you today. If you have never repented of your sins, the word of the Lord lets us know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I'm glad God is willing and able to forgive my sins today, aren't you? Are you thankful for that? And I, I want to go a step further and tell you something. Uh, and I feel to speak this right now. I'm not preaching yet. Uh, you know, somebody said, ah, that guy preached an hour and 15 minutes. No, he preached about 45 minutes and he talked a while. Amen. You never start timing a man until he takes his text. So I'm not preaching yet. I'm just talking to you a little bit. Preliminary comments. Amen. Praise God. But I want to tell you what Jesus does, what God does in our lives, he does in an instant. It doesn't take him a while to do it. He does it in a moment. I want to talk to you just for a moment about just that, the power of a moment. God can do more in a moment than anybody else could do for me in a lifetime. And I want to tell you, the Bible says repent. And when you repent of your sins, Jesus Christ forgives them now, instantly. It's not a process. It's in an instant. Jesus forgives your sins. So if you pray and ask God to forgive you and you truly repent of your sins, he forgives you instantly. It happens in an instant. You see, everything that is a process, man is involved in. Amen. You see, what God does, God does in an instant. He forgives you in an instant. It takes you longer to forgive yourself than it takes God to forgive you. Everything man gets involved in, most of the time, it indicates process because process indicates that there's labor or there's work that is involved. And I want to tell you that there is nothing that is hard for God. So when God touches your life, it's not a process. God forgives you in an instant. Now, a lot of things about living for God are a process uh, because the Bible talks about us perfecting holiness uh, in the fear of the Lord, uh, and that's us. Uh, that's us going through processes uh, to cleanse our lives and to make us what we need to be uh, in the presence of the Lord, but that's not due to any uh, deficiency in God. Uh, that's because of the condition of our lives uh, that we got to go through all these processes uh, to live for God, but what God does, uh, he does in an instant. Uh, he he forgives your sins in an instant. He fills you with the gift of the Holy Ghost in an instant. Amen. You say, well, well, well preacher, I, I know of people that have sought for the gift of the Holy Ghost for years. That doesn't mean that God does not fill with the Holy Ghost in an instant. That simply means that for whatever reason, they're not ready to receive it yet. Amen. But when we repent, God forgives us in an instant. When we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, God fills us in an instant. So I want to tell you today, if you came to this service with a need in your life, one moment in the presence of God can change your life forever. Praise God. And if you fully repented, I certainly concur with Pastor. I want to encourage you to get baptized today. In the name of Jesus Christ. And thank God we've got warm uh, baptismal water. Amen. 
I baptized a guy in the city of Chicago when I pastored there uh, one time by the name of Brother Munoz. Brother Munoz uh, was from South America. Brother yeah. Brother Munoz uh, had moved to Chicago and started coming to uh, our church and had never been baptized in Jesus' name. And he came to me uh, uh, during one New Year's Eve service, uh, and it was cold. Uh, it was uh, zero or, or maybe below or a little bit above, but it was cold. Uh, and uh, on this New Year's Eve service, Brother Munoz came to me uh, and desired to be baptized, but we didn't have a heater for our tank uh, and didn't have any money to buy one, okay? Uh, and Brother Munoz wanted to be baptized, but he was very concerned, Sister McCall. He said the water is too cold. Uh, he was an elderly man with debilitating arthritis uh, and he said I want to get baptized but I'm afraid uh, that that cold water will kill me. I'm afraid uh, that it will just lock up my joints uh, and something came all over me. Uh, I don't know if it was God or if I was just young and dumb. Amen. But I looked at Brother Munoz and I felt like it was the Lord and the Lord honored my words, whether it was him or not. And I looked at him, Brother Anderson, and I said, Brother Munoz, if you'll get baptized in Jesus' name tonight, God will heal your body and take away your arthritis. And you know what? He believed me. Amen. And I baptized him in Jesus' name. And do you know that he got out of that tank healed from all arthritis in his body? Isn't that just like Jesus? Amen. But you don't have to worry today about what Brother Munoz is worried about. We got warm water in the baptismal tank. So if you have never yet been baptized in the name of Jesus, may I strongly encourage you to do so. Today would be a good day. Amen. Let's start off the new year right. Repent of our sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And God will fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Great to be with you today. Why don't we clap our hands one more time to the Lord. Could we stand for a moment? Let's turn to Psalm 41. Psalm 41 and verse number 5. Amen. Psalm 41, verse number 5. This is a psalm of David. And in Psalm 41, 5, David says this. Mine enemies speak evil of me. Mine enemies speak evil of me. I want to talk to you for a little while today. On this simple subject, looking at Jesus through the eyes of his enemies. We want to look at Jesus through the eyes of his enemies today. Amen. I, you, you know, I, I, they said in the Bible in one place, sirs, we would see Jesus. And you know, when we come to a service, uh, everything ought to be about him. It ought to be focused on him. Every song, uh, every sermon ought to be for the purpose uh, of pointing people uh, toward Jesus. And that's exactly what I uh, want to do today. Uh, I want to, for you to look uh, toward Jesus. But we're going to look at Jesus uh, through a little different lens today. Uh, we're going to look at Jesus through the eyes uh, of his uh, enemies. Let's look to the Lord right now. Lord, we thank you uh, for your word. 
that has ever settled in heaven. Uh, I pray, God, that you will anoint me to preach your word and anoint your people to receive it. Uh, Lord, to grasp it with all of our hearts uh, that we may grow thereby. I pray, Lord, uh, that there would be miracles that would be wrought in your house uh, today and that you would confirm your word uh, with signs following. And we'll thank you uh, and praise you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Let's give the Lord another round of applause before we're seated. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated today. Looking at Jesus through the eyes of his enemies. In the 41st Psalm, David makes one small statement that really explains what happens when we have an enemy. When he said, my enemies speak evil of me. For friends, today this is the nature uh, of an enemy. In fact, when one person sets himself uh, against another, it normally escalates uh, to where it becomes a war uh, of words and your enemy uh, will speak uh, evil of you. They'll talk bad uh, about you. They will try to uh, assassinate your character uh, with their words. It would be nice to be able to say today that we have no enemies, but most of us probably have or have had one or two. Because usually when you stand for something, you'll make an enemy somewhere along the way. Paul said it this way in Galatians 4, 16, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You see, friends, the truth always seems to make a few enemies. And Jesus never said, don't have enemies. What he did say was love your enemies. And in Romans 12, 20, the Bible says that if your enemy is hungry, feed him. But Jesus never said, don't have enemies. Amen. But if you're wanting today to find out something about me, I'd a whole lot rather you talk to my friends. <laughs> because my friends will tell you what I want you to hear about me. My enemies will talk bad about me. They may even reveal something about me that I don't want anybody else to know because that's the nature of an enemy so if you're going to inquire about me about my life why don't you give me a break today and talk to my friends about me because they'll tell you what I want you to hear but we're not going to give Jesus that kind of a break today we're going to see what his enemies had to say about him and in order to do that I would like to first look at Luke chapter 23 and verse 4. As we read in this particular chapter, the setting is Jesus has been apprehended in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has been taken for trial before Pilate, and there as he stands before this magistrate, the Bible lets us know in Luke 23 and 4, then said Pilate to the chief priest and 
unto the people, I find no fault in this man. They had come with their kangaroo court and they'd brought false accusations against this one called Christ. But when Pilate investigated the situation, he had to come to the conclusion that I find no fault in this man. Upon investigation, Pilate understood that Jesus was faultless. He had done no wrong. And you know what? Pilate was absolutely right. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.22 that he did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. And Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 and says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was faultless. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was perfection personified and Pilate, his enemy, said I find no fault in him. Now I want to encourage you today don't look too close at Sanders this morning. Don't look too close at me. Don't investigate my life too closely because I as a mere man cannot withstand the scrutiny. You won't have to look too long to find faults and failures and inconsistencies in me. Maybe even a little hypocrisy. I don't know. So don't look too close in my direction. But when it comes to Jesus, you can get your magnifying glass out. You can scrutinize. You can investigate all you choose. You can look at him closely from every angle because he is the one that can bear the scrutiny of close investigation. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith today. If a man has let you down and even Christians haven't been able to stand your scrutiny, I want to encourage you today. Why don't you lift your red-rimmed world-weary eyes to Jesus? because he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He is the one who is all together lovely. And when you look at Jesus today, you'll have to agree with Pilate. I find no fault in him. Hallelujah. Let's see what else his enemies had to say about him. John chapter 7, verses 45 and 46. The Bible says, Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Now we've got to get the setting here. The chief priests are very upset. The scribes, the Pharisees are upset because Jesus, Jesus has come along and he's upset their apple cart. Jesus has come along speaking like no man has ever spoken before. And the chief priest specifically is very upset because Jesus has come along and and put a little glitch, thrown a monkey wrench into his profiteering, his money-making enterprises. For we will recall when Jesus stepped into the temple 
Bible, uh, and the Bible uh, lets us know uh, that he spoke uh, and said, it is written uh, that my house shall be called uh, the house of prayer, uh, but you have made it uh, a den uh, of thieves. And he kicked over the table uh, of the money changers uh, and chased out uh, all of the loan sharks, the usurers, uh, the sellers uh, of doves, uh, and he cleansed uh, the temple. uh, And they are upset because Jesus uh, has interrupted uh, their money-making operation uh, and Jesus uh, is making claims uh, that they don't uh, for a minute uh, believe. Uh, so they get uh, some some officers there uh, and, and they start accusing Jesus uh, and send these officers uh, to arrest him. Uh, and it is upon their return uh, that they speak here. Uh, the officers come back to the chief priest uh, and Pharisees uh, and they question them and said, why uh, have you not brought him? Uh, and I can see these guys uh, as their eyes are about as big around uh, as half dollars. Uh, and they say, uh, you don't understand, uh, uh, officers. Uh, you don't understand, uh, Pharisees. Uh, never uh, a man uh, has spoken uh, like this uh, man uh, speaks. Uh, these were the enemies uh, of Jesus uh, that were talking. Uh, we've never heard anybody speak uh, like this man. Uh, the authority uh, by which uh, he spoke uh, stunned and immobilized them. Why didn't you arrest him? Because we've never heard anybody speak like this guy speaks. We've never heard anybody talk like this man. Luke chapter 4 and verse 36. The Bible says, and they were all amazed and spake among themselves saying, what a word is this? For with authority and power He commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. What a word is this. Oh, friend, when God begins to speak a word, uh, there's nobody uh, that can speak uh, like Jesus uh, can speak. Uh, And I'm not necessarily talking about uh, a preacher preaching in a pulpit. Uh, I'm not talking about my words. Uh, I'm talking about when God uh, speaks a word uh, into the life uh, of an individual uh, or even into uh, a congregation uh, that there is no authoritative word uh, like the word of Jesus and never a man spake like this man what a word is this you see this was not just a word this was the word the Bible says in John 1 and 1 in the beginning was the word The word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14 uh, says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. uh, And we beheld his glory, the glory uh, of the only begotten of the Father, uh, full of grace uh, and truth. This Jesus came, uh, and not just with a word, uh, but he was the word uh, personified. Uh, He was God uh, manifest uh, in the flesh uh, and justified uh, in the spirit. Uh, And when uh, this word uh, in flesh uh, began to 
speak, there were never any words like the words that he spoke. In fact, he said himself in John 6 and 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. I've come to tell somebody when Jesus begins to speak a word into your spirit, those words that he speak are spirit and life. Life will come when God begins to speak. When Jesus speaks, hell freezes and demons tremble. The forces of evil are immobilized when Jesus speaks. That's why his enemies could not apprehend him. (coughs) They couldn't apprehend him while he was speaking because never a man spake like this man. That's why the Bible lets us know that at his trial, uh, he kept silent. Uh, in fact, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about it uh, in 53 and verse 7 uh, when he said he was oppressed uh, and he was afflicted, uh, yet he opened not uh, his mouth. Uh, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter uh, and as a sheep before her shearers uh, is dumb, so he openeth uh, not uh, his mouth. You know why Jesus uh, didn't open his mouth uh, at his trial uh, or when they apprehended him? because had he opened his mouth the words that he spoke were so full of authority so authoritative were his words that had he not gone like a lamb to the slaughter had he not opened up his mouth they never would have been able to crucify him because never a man spoke like this man He's the one that stepped out onto the bow of the boat in the Sea of Galilee and said, peace be still. And three words from the creator caused creation to stand still and there was a great calm. It doesn't matter what turmoil is going on in your life. It doesn't matter what kind of storm is brewing in your life. When Jesus steps to the bow of your boat and begins to speak, there will be a calm. There will be a peace in the midst of the storm because never a man spake like this man. Hallelujah. These were his his enemies that were talking about him. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 34, (coughs) the Bible says, The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. This is what Jesus' enemies spoke of him. They meant it in a derogatory fashion, but even his friends said, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Oh, I'm so glad that Jesus is a sinner's friend. For were Jesus not a sinner's friend, where would I be today? Were Jesus not a sinner's friend, where would you be today? And I've simply come to tell you today, thank God that Jesus is a sinner's friend. Amen. 
In John 15 and 13, the Bible says, Greater love uh, hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life uh, for his friends. Uh, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Uh, henceforth I call you not servants, uh, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. Uh, but I have called you uh, friends. Uh, for all things that I have heard of my Father, uh, I have made known uh, unto you. You have not chosen me, uh, but I have chosen you uh, and ordained you uh, that you should go and bring forth fruit uh, and that your fruit should remain uh, that whatsoever you shall ask uh, of the father in my name uh, he may give it you Jesus uh, is talking here uh, about uh, his uh, friends uh, I don't know how you feel about it today uh, but I'm glad uh, to be uh, a friend uh, of Jesus uh, and I wasn't the one uh, that chose him uh, he is the one uh, that chose me uh, before you ever knew him he knew you before you ever knew the power of his name he knew what your name was he had his eye upon you and if he sees a sparrow as it flies and falls to the earth and if he sees the lily the flowers the foliage of the field as they toil not certainly God has got his eye upon you and he calls us friends today and I for one am glad that Jesus is a sinner's friend hallelujah Jesus he chose me to be his friend and you know what you're known by the company that you keep and they criticize Jesus for being a friend of sinners now, if there's anything that I try very hard to protect, it's my reputation. And if they would have accused me and criticized me for being a friend of Andrew Sanders, I'm probably just worried enough about my reputation that I might try to separate myself a little bit from Andrew Sanders because somebody doesn't like it because I'm his friend. I'm Pastor McCall's friend, and somebody said, you, you, you hanging around that McCall character? Because there's something about my reputation that means something to me. Now, that can be good, and that can be bad, and it can be prideful. But I'm simply giving you uh, these silly little illustrations today uh, so that you can understand uh, that even though uh, if I would have been sitting where Jesus was sitting uh, and they said, you're, uh, you're gluttonous, you're a wine baby, you're a friend uh, of publicans and sinners, uh, I'm just worried enough about my reputation uh, that I might uh, have tried to put a little distance uh, between me uh, and those that I was accused uh, of befriending. But oh, not Jesus. He didn't care about his uh, reputation uh, he was God uh, manifest uh, in the flesh uh, and he had nothing uh, to prove uh, to anybody uh, in fact the Bible lets us know uh, in Philippians but he made uh, himself uh, of no uh, reputation uh, and took upon him the form uh, of a servant uh, and was made in the likeness uh, of men uh, and being found in the fashion as a man uh, he humbled himself 
life and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's how close Jesus wanted to get to sinners. That's the kind of friend that Jesus was to the lowly. He said, I'm not just going to eat and drink with you. I'll go to the cross for you. I'm glad that Jesus is a sinner's friend. Romans 5 and 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Timothy 1 and 15, I love how Paul puts it here. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That means ain't no fussing about it. This is worthy to be accepted by everyone. This is not a controversial statement. This is one that everybody ought to agree with. Because it's worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Jesus came to save sinners. He said it himself, I've come, the Son of Man's come to seek and to save that which was lost. Aren't you glad today that Jesus is a sinner's friend? If you're glad that Jesus is a sinner's friend, why don't you just praise him for a moment or two right now? If you're in this service today and you're not where you need to be with God, there's good news. Jesus has not distanced himself from you because of your life or your lifestyle or even your sin. But Jesus is a friend of sinners today. He's right there sitting next to you. He's communing with you. He's sitting at the table with you today. He's a sinner's friend. And even Jesus' enemies had to make some admissions. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 34, But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils, through the prince of devils. <laughs> Isn't that priceless? That's a jewel right there. They didn't know how he was doing it, but even his enemies had to admit he cast out devils. Yeah. Amen. When he comes around, things don't stay the same. Brother Ryan, when he comes around, there's changes that begin to take place. Even when he walks into a place of demonic oppression or even possession, there's change that begins to take place because even the enemies of Jesus Christ had to make the admission that he cast out devils. They didn't have an understanding of how he did it, but they understood when this Jesus comes around, demons have got to flee. I want to tell you, just like his enemies did. He cast out devils today. Even his critics recognized his authority over devils, over demons. Amen. James 2.19, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. He cast out devils. You'll recall perhaps the story of when Jesus walks on the shore of Gadara, and as soon as the boat hits the bank, he steps out of the boat, and there's this guy that comes running to Jesus. They tried to chain him up. They tried to keep him clothed. He'd rip his clothes off and run naked among the tombs because 
because he is filled with many, many devils. And upon his approach, Jesus speaks to him, inquiring of his name. And the demons cry out from the man, amen, legion, for we are many. Now, you got to understand something about legion. Legion is a military term. A legion was a body of soldiers between two and five thousand in number and and it was common in that day the greatest military power of the day was the Roman Empire so Roman legions were very noticeable Roman legions were very recognizable and even yet today Roman when, when people think of legions of armies they think of the ancient Roman army those legions Amen. So this guy comes running to Jesus and says, Legion, for we are many. Now, whether that indicated that there were literally 2,000 demons or more possessing the man or whether it was just their way of expressing that there were a lot of demons there, that's, I suppose, up for speculation. And you can, you can believe that any way you want to. I happen to believe that it was literal and, and there were, there were 2,000 demons at least that were, were tormenting, if not possessing this man. And, and they begin to cry out to, to Jesus but here's what I want you to notice remember uh, his enemies even had to make the omission uh, that he cast out devils uh, and 2,000 uh, demonic spirits uh, could not keep uh, one sinner man uh, from running uh, to Jesus <laughs> I've come to tell somebody today it doesn't matter what demons uh, you are facing uh, in your life uh, Demons of habit, demons of addiction, 2,000 devils couldn't keep one sinner man from running to Jesus. Those demons didn't want that guy running to Jesus. They wanted him running away from Jesus. But there was something in his heart that desired deliverance, and he got it. Because Jesus speaks and those demons flee because he cast out devils. And this previously naked, wild man of Gadara, we now see sitting at the feet of Jesus, uh, clothed and in uh, his right mind. The devil will make you take your clothes off, but Jesus will have, them put you, have you put them back on. Amen. <clears throat> and I want you to notice another thing. They began to inquire of Jesus, don't cast us out into the outer darkness. Don't cast us into the abyss. Let us go into these swine, these pigs over here. You see, Jesus has got the devil and all of his imps and demons on a short leash. And, and the devil can only go as far as God will allow him to go. Amen. Amen. And, and these demonic spirits had to inquire of Jesus and ask permission of Jesus to go into the pigs. And they went into the pigs. And what did the pigs do? They ran over the cliff and committed suicide. Amen. 
I want to tell you, 2,000 suicide demons couldn't keep one sinner man uh, from running to Jesus. Uh, They couldn't make one sinner man uh, kill uh, himself. They could make a whole herd uh, of swine kill themselves, uh, but not one man uh, that had a will uh, and and a desire uh, for deliverance. Uh, 2,000 suicide devils uh, could not uh, overcome uh, that man. I've come to tell somebody, if the devil could kill you, uh, you'd be dead. Uh, But the good thing about this Savior of which I speak is he cast out devils. So if there's anybody here today that's bound by the bottle or bound by drugs, I want to tell you, he cast out devils. Amen. He's the one that's able to make a change in your life in a moment's time. And even his enemies had to admit that he cast out devils. If you have demonic spirits that are harassing, tormenting, or even possessing you, even his enemies knew that he cast out devils. Amen. And in John 11 and verse 45... The Bible says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things uh, Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees in council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. Even his enemies had to admit, This guy performs miracles. This guy uh, does many uh, miracles. Uh, Hallelujah. He would go into Capernaum and Bethsaida and they would bring all of the sick uh, and the demon possessed and the tortured unto him uh, and he would cast out every demon uh, and he would heal all uh, of their sickness uh, and disease. Uh, The only time that Jesus wasn't able uh, to do that kind of thing is when unbelief uh, was present uh, like in his hometown uh, of Nazareth. Uh, And because uh, of their unbelief, belief. All they saw was just a few sick folk healed. They didn't see the multiple miracles that happened in other places. But I want to tell you that he does miracles. He did them then. He does them now. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And somebody needs to understand Jesus is here. So there's a miracle in the house for you today he does miracles even his enemies knew it even the enemies of Jesus recognized his miracle working ability it's sad when his enemies have more faith than his friends do we know that there are many miracles in the Bible and that's exactly where they stay because of unbelief if we're not careful But Ephesians chapter 3.20 says, Now unto him uh, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all uh, that we ask or think uh, according to the power uh, that worketh uh, in us. We are serving uh, an unlimited God, uh, a God with unlimited power uh, and ability uh, to perform uh, miracles. I'm glad that I know uh, that I'm serving a God uh, whose arm uh, is not short, uh, whose ear uh, is not deaf, uh, that he cannot hear, uh, and whose eye is not blind that he cannot see but even his enemies understood he doeth miracles hallelujah hallelujah you see friends we must not lose our connection 
to the miraculous. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, the Bible says, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. They didn't understand. They, they had never seen Red Sea's parting. They had never seen uh, water from a rock. They had never seen uh, an axe head uh, swim. Uh, they became so disconnected uh, from the miraculous uh, that they knew not the Lord, uh, neither the works uh, that, that, that they had done, uh, that he had done uh, for Israel. Uh, I want to come to tell the apostolic church uh, today uh, that we uh, have got to maintain uh, our connection uh, to the miraculous. Uh, when we lose uh, the miraculous uh, will be like every other church uh, on every other street corner uh, where there is uh, no power uh, of God uh, but when we understand uh, that we're serving a God uh, that is able to do absolutely uh, anything uh, that we can believe him for uh, we'll stay connected uh, to uh, the miraculous we won't be a generation that doesn't know the Lord uh, and doesn't know uh, his works Throughout the book of Acts, there were miracles that took place. And in 1 Corinthians 12 and 28, <clears throat> and God hath set some into the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, Diversities of tongues. These are talking about gifts uh, that God has placed uh, within the New Testament church uh, and miracles uh, is not the least uh, among them. Uh, oh, we've got to understand uh, that we must have uh, our connection uh, to the miraculous. Uh, why don't you just listen uh, to the enemies uh, of the Lord today uh, when even they tell you he does miracles? And I come swiftly to a close today with this final Statement of an enemy of Jesus. It's found in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the son of God. This was a Roman centurion, perhaps even the man who drove the nails into his hands and his feet. But when he saw all of the supernatural phenomenon that was taking place, the Bible lets us know that as Jesus hung on that cross, that darkness covered the land and it was dark from noon till three. And not only that, that there was a great earthquake. The earth began to shake and the graves of many saints in and around Jerusalem were opened uh, and dead saints resurrected uh, and began uh, to walk uh, in the streets uh, and in the byways uh, of the city uh, and when that Roman centurion uh, an enemy uh, of Jesus Christ uh, saw everything uh, that was going on uh, he had to look up uh, at that body uh, and say surely uh, truly uh, this man was the son of God he really is uh, who he said uh, that he was uh, there's 
there's no doubt because of everything that we are seeing among us. Hey, friend, when you are a witness to the mighty works of God, you'll have to agree with Jesus' enemy. He is who he says he is. He is God manifest in the flesh. He is the mighty God in Christ. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Philippians 2 and 9, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Truly, this was the Son of God. Truly, he is who he said that he is. And when you witness the miraculous power of God, there will be no doubt in your mind as to the identity of Jesus Christ. And you'll have to concur with his enemies. Truly, this is the Son of God. Truly, he is who he said he would. Truly, uh, all of the claims of him uh, and his disciples uh, were true. Uh, so I've just come to tell you today uh, that if you're looking for somebody uh, to testify uh, to the reality uh, of Jesus Christ uh, and his power, uh, you need look no further uh, than his enemies. Uh, hey, you could take my enemies uh, and you could line them up today uh, and they'd say, I'm sure, uh, many less than complimentary things about me but we've heard the enemies of Jesus Christ that have spoken today and told us that he is truly God they've told us he does miracles and he casts out devils and he is a sinner's friend I'm glad to know all of these things about Jesus I want to say thank you enemies of Jesus for preaching to us today and letting us know who he really is and what he can do. And as the musicians come and we stand to our feet right now, if you are here today and you need something from Jesus, I've simply come to point you to him today. I've come today to give you testimony of his sworn enemies that had to admit some things about him that we need to know. Hallelujah. He's a sinner's friend today. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I'm going to open this altar to you right now and let you know that Jesus is a sinner's friend and he stands before you today with his arms held open wide, ready to embrace you into the bosom of his love. He wants to touch your life today. If you're here and you're bound by something, amen, whether it be feelings that have haunted you in from your past, things that have 
have haunted you since the time that you were a child. Maybe things that happened to you back then that were not your fault, but they have kept you from getting where you need to be in God. Maybe it's an addiction to a substance or to alcohol, to nicotine or whatever it may be today. I want you to know if you're here today and you've got a root of bitterness in your life because of something that someone did to you or said about you that the miracle worker is here. Just listen to the testimony of the enemies of Jesus today. This altar's open right now. Could we come? I wish that we could all gather in as the saints of the Lord are coming. Why don't you come with them?